Hello and welcome to episode one of Unchurchable for 2023. I'm Kit Kennedy. Still, even though most of you also know my real name now, my goal for this year is to put up more than two episodes. Thanks to Becky Beasley and Andrew Lang for being my only guests last year. And what a year that turned out to be. You can check out my blog for all the links to that. The link is up on my link tree on Instagram. As for now, it's March and holy wow, that went fast. Life is going well. The space to think after the great unburdening is lovely. Although I don't think I'll ever fully shake the feeling of being the story keeper for so many religious trauma survivors. The difference is now I've told my own story too. That's something I sort of tiptoed around on the blog and the podcast in the years since I departed my father's church. I preferred to concentrate on humour, rationalisation and deflecting to the severity of other people's stories in order to cope. And while yes, um, as a few of you have pointed out, only a very tiny percentage of my own story made it uh, out into national media via 60 Minutes, um, I'm actually kind of happy about that because for me it really needed to be about something bigger than just, you know, family shit. It needed to be about helping other victim survivors get their voices back and, and understand that they would be heard and believed. Anyway, I've since interviewed for another podcast. I was a teenage fundamentalist, uh, which is a kick-ass podcast, by the way. The interviewer there made me just tell my story, and wow, ain't that a heavy thing? <laughs> but you're going to have to wait for that because they're going to need some weeks to, uh, to produce it and, and, and release it, but also because my intention with this podcast is to continue to connect with thinkers in the deconstruction space and help people walking this juggernaut to understand they're not alone, to understand the theological and psychological drivers that underpin their experience and accept that their place in the deconstruction continuum is valid no matter where it is. I say this realising that when I started Unchurchable, I was at a very different place to where I am now. And guess what? That place, this place, and all the places in between are all fine and good and valid. Today's guest dropped into my life at just the right time and has quickly become a trusted and treasured friend. She's studied seminary, she's been a pastor, she's a mother of five, and she's a deconstruction coach. She also gives us a scoop on the title of her soon-to-be-released book at the end of this podcast. In the thick of all the craziness last year, Angela Harrington saw how I was holding space for other victim survivors, dealing with the weight and the fear of being a whistleblower, and holding the expectations and hopes of players in political settings, media settings, dealing with threats and trying to hold down life as a mother and a business owner and a boss and just a human person with a regular human person shit in on top of that. The way she held space for me drew out the lived experience of all I was facing in a way that made me feel truly seen and held and safe and did so without making me feel like there was a right way or wrong way to process it. Well, that's a gift she brings to deconstructors as they journey through some seriously complicated terrain. She's the mama bear of the wilderness community for deconstructors and makes sure everyone feels beautifully non-coerced and non-controlled and free to engage in a way that is as much or as little as they need to and want to. And isn't that something for so many of us who've left high control religion? Meet Angela Harrington, deconstruction coach and author. You're going to love her. Yes, I definitely get the feeling we'll figure it out as we go. So, so yeah, look, this is this is season three. We're starting it off with uh, Angela Harrington, 
uh, me having just run in from the school drop-off, um, my daughter threw a tantrum, so I had time to apply precisely one eyebrow, and there are children's underpants on the kitchen table behind me. So, you know, we're, we're doing good. We're doing good. <laughs> How are you, Angela? I am good. I'm so excited to talk to you again. We I always know. have the most fun. We, we do, but the last, okay. So last time we talked, I came on the wilderness. Um, yeah. yeah, the wilderness tribe thing and did a talk on neuro. And then before that, you were helping me recover from a thing, like a whole a thing. thing. <laughs> I was waiting to see what you were going to call it. A thing is a good label for that. <laughs> a thing so yeah I thought it's about time we get you to come on the podcast and talk to me about your life and what you do <laughs> the yeah. thing was, yeah the thing was 60 minutes and uh 60 minutes Australia and um all this major news coverage and, and all this kind of stuff about the church I escaped um and politics and dominionism and hey guys you know that's a whole party <laughs> No big deal. Just like, you know, a little conversation among friends. No big deal. No big deal. No big deal. Um, and the work that you helped me with, um, I, obviously I know you're a deconstruction coach, um, yeah. but it was really, it was the first time I've actually accessed the help of a, a deconstruction coach. And it wasn't mm-hmm. about necessarily deconstruction in that moment, but in kind of a a space of grief and a space of loss and a space of stress. It was like super helpful to work through. So so tell me a little bit about yourself and tell me how you got into this space. I want to hear your story. All right. Well, I am a mom of five, been married for 20 years. My husband and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary last summer. And I've been in some form of online ministry, business, business coaching, something like that for over a decade. So I've been here for a minute, Um, started out in a pretty traditional women's ministry sort of format and realized that there was a lot of stuff I didn't love about the church. Um, And that was really hard to come to terms with. I, I, people ask me all the time, how did you get in? How did you start deconstructing? And I said, well, I went to seminary (laughs) because when I was in seminary, I was faced with, I did a research project on women and, and access to mentoring and leadership roles. And there were some very courageous women pretty high up in, in their denominations who shared some heartbreaking stories. Um, and I just had to come to terms with the value of women in church and whether or not I, I thought that aligned with who I believed God to be at the time. And it didn't (laughs) like, like the, the short version is it didn't. Um, Wow. So I began shifting. I mean, I began doing my own deconstruction work. And and in hindsight, you know, there were so many things that I, I was deconstructing, but it wasn't really a common phrase at that time. Yeah, no. um, podcasts hadn't really taken off yet. Um, yeah. The Christian blogosphere was pretty conservative, borderline fundamental. Like it was yeah. hard to find progressive voices. Yeah, um, it's probably Rachel Held so, Evans and everyone else. <laughs> right, right. Like yeah. it, you know, and even, uh, you know, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, Rachel Held Evans, who? Like, there, yeah. you know, we didn't have Evolving Faith. We didn't have Sarah Bessie. We had some of those voices, but they were, um, they we just didn't have the platforms that we have now to be yeah. able to access information uh, quickly and all over the world. So long story short, 
that's kind of my my little mini version. Um, from a personal side of things, uh, the, I think one of the things that always surprises people when we get into a deconstruction space is it's really about grief and it's really trauma recovery, right? Like yep. uh, there's a lot of people, myself included, who come into deconstruction and we're like, okay, we're really smart. We just have to think our way through this. Just, you yeah. know, point me to the information or give me the information and I'll make some changes and then I'll be in love with faith again. Yeah. And there's a whole bucket, you know, even, yeah. even for people who haven't been traumatized, who haven't been abused in the church or really haven't been manipulated through religion, there's grief. There's a lot oh, yeah. of grief and there's a lot of wrestling. So when, when people start working with me and even when you and I have conversations, people are shocked that we're not talking about deconstruction topics. <laughs> we're not talking mm -hmm. about, Thinking. you know, is there a hell? Is there a God, <clears throat> right? It's more about folding into ourselves and mothering our wounds and learning how to trust ourselves again. And then you yeah. can go out and get all the information you need, right? That's easy. Yeah. It's the <laughs> healing work. That gets me up every day. And that's the part that I absolutely love. So long yeah. and winding road. That's how we got here. Yeah, that's how we got here. And, you know, it, it's so interesting. Um, I don't know what your experience was with church, but the whole women issue folds into a whole lot of other issues, uh, mm -hmm. such as um, the whole idea of negative emotion. Like women are yeah. too emotional, we can't trust emotions. Um, so when we get to this point of actually grieving <laughs> um, yeah. and um, it's grieving the loss of all sorts of things. Some of us lost family, some of us lost friends. I certainly lost both of those um, mm -hmm. in my deconstruction uh, hurricane. Um, <laughs> I was going to say journey, but hurricane I think is, is a little that bit more. That seems right. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's right. um, a lot of us lost family, we lost friends, but also we lost, I lost a sense of purposeful grandiosity. Okay. Um, I lost this feeling that I was destined, that, I, that God had predestined me for this, you know, and it was partially due to the group that I was from. We were very lofty in our thinking about what God would have this particular group do. Um, I lost that sense of purpose and I lost that sense of, I call it spiritual grandiosity, but you do grieve it mm -hmm. because then you're sitting in a space of, okay, I'm here, I'm in the world, I'm not normal. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden these emotions that we were told we couldn't have are the mm -hmm. ones that we need to use to get through the grief. Um, and it's wow. hard especially as women, when we're told not to be angry, not to be sad, not to be teary, not to be upset, um, to then, yeah, to then have to kind of return to those emotions. So what do you find in that space? Like what, is that something that people struggle with or is it just me? Oh, no, it's not just you. Like, and I, and we've talked a little bit about this before. I think that the, um, I think the smarter and the stronger you are, the harder this is. Because yeah. you're less likely to slow down, you're less mm -hmm. likely to lower your walls, and yeah. you're less likely to say, well, maybe I don't know what I'm doing here, yeah. <laughs> which is a big part of deconstruction. Yeah. You know, just being able to say, all of these tools that I've been given don't seem to work. Like, I have mm -hmm. doors to unlock, 
but none of these keys seem to work. I think for those of us who are really smart and really self-sufficient and have been leaders, like we're just like, okay, we're going to keep one of these will eventually work. And we just keep trying those keys and we exhaust ourselves. So I I think one of the most empowering things that happens um, in deconstruction or in any type of trauma recovery is that moment where where we loosen our grip, where we open our hands and say, I don't have a clue what's happening next. Yeah. I'm not even sure I know what happened in the past. Yeah. But I'm done trying to control it because that is part of what's keeping me trapped in the trauma. And if we can loosen our grip a little bit, then there's room, right? There's room for the grief to come out. There's room for hope to come back in. There's room for people to love us. There's room for healthy boundaries. There's room for us to scream and rage and throw things and then eat our feelings. Like there's room for all of that because we have stopped measuring ourselves and our lives by the measuring stick that that old broken abusive system gave us. Yeah, We're like throwing it out. We're like, take that ruler and throw it away. And, yes. and it's terrifying to not know how to measure yourself and how to yeah. gauge whether you're safe or not. But I tell you what, it's also one of the most liberating things that you can figure out, more so yeah. than head knowledge, more so than relationships. Just being able to say, I don't know what's going to happen next. And yeah. even though it terrifies me, I'm okay with that. I'd yeah. rather be terrified than trapped. Oh, I'd rather be terrified than trapped. Yeah, that yeah. is that that strikes a chord very deeply. I I just um I'll ask you this question. Sure. When you come to that point of, of of releasing your grip on controlling everything, like on trying to be okay, trying to just deconstruct in controllable um <laughs> tiny bits that are, that are completely within your, you know, <laughs> you're like, I got this, I can completely control this. A lot of people might feel it's a lot more overwhelming. And and as a mom, five mm-hmm. kids, Angela, that is so many children. It is. It's a lot. <laughs> I've, I've got two kids. Go big or go <laughs> home, right? <laughs> I, I'm the eldest of five. Um, so I kind of feel like I've already raised, I kind of felt like I'd already raised three kids by the time I yeah. got uh, to parented because like we were homeschooled and um, like my youngest sister is like, I think 14, 15 years younger than me. Um, so, you know, like, but, but as a mother of just two, I just have two children, one of each, um, very spirited, very lively kids. I I run a business. I'm a single mom, although calling myself a single mom doesn't quite sit right because my ex-husband lives 300 meters away and he's just so hands-on and we share custody down the middle and, you know, it's, it's lovely. But, um, what I find is like I was last year during the whole investigative journalism thing, um, there were 60 minutes, there was like all these other kind of journalists swarming around the story and and wanting the juice and there was political involvement and, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. I was running a business. I was parenting two children. I had a pretty clean house. Um, I, you know, I was cooking dinner regularly. Like I was, I was okay. Um, my son got strep and then got a post-strep infection and spent six mm-hmm. days in the Royal Children's Hospital. 
And so we, Patrick and I were in there 24-7 with him, like rotating shifts so Patrick could work and then I'd sleep there and like, you know, all sorts of things. And then the guinea pig died. And I don't even like guinea pigs. <laughs> but that was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> and I just threw, I sobbed over that guinea pig. <laughs> and then all the juggling balls fell. And yeah. I have not folded washing since September last year (laughs) and it's February and it's like when we release our grip on one thing everything falls and that is terrifying I think for people whose lives Mm -hmm. might have been so in control um you know I a friend of mine she's like I'm going to come over and fold your washing she says that to me I just about cried because accepting help is so terrifying. So how how do we, if we are these tightly wound, tightly repressed, under control people who've mm-hmm. lived in a system that hasn't allowed us to express weakness, how do we let go? How do we lean into our feelings and not feel ashamed yeah. about it? Yeah, it's such a big question. And so I, I think if I were to boil that down into you know, little, little niblets, little appetizers for um, worth of advice. What I would say is that being hypervigilant, doing it all, um, and this is going to be a hard truth for some people, but mm-hmm. doing it all, a lot of times we justify that for the people in our life. This is yeah. what I have to do to be a mom, to have a business, to do all the things. Yeah. But if we get really, really, really honest with ourselves, a lot of times we're doing that to protect ourselves from potential harm. So mm-hmm. abandonment, rejection, you know, whatever, what, whatever wounds we've had in the past, we just ramp ourselves up and we become, uh, you know, we're like our, our, we've talked about this with neurology, right? Our early warning system starts firing off earlier and earlier and earlier yes. and earlier. Yeah. And so f- for me and for a lot of the clients that I work with, we have to get really honest with ourselves about why are we doing so much? Why are we trying to perform? And a lot of times we're trying to outperform our pain. Yeah. And you can outrun it sometimes, sometimes. For, cer- for a certain amount of time, right? But you yeah. can't necessarily do enough or be enough or, or perform enough to actually make that pain go away. Yeah, gosh. And once we start being honest about that, then it's like, okay, well, if I can't outrun it anymore because I'm so freaking tired, Mm -hmm. what do I do? How do I move past that? How do I, how do I, you know, what do I want to do next? If this road that I'm on is really janky and really wobbly and untrustworthy, do I want to keep investing in that? Or, yeah. or do I, I want to call time out and pause and see what other options there are? So we, there's yeah. choice, right? Choice is one of those things we bump into over and over. And when we sit back and say, this is, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. If I don't do this, I'll let people down. My business will fail. You know, I could come up with about a million excuses <laughs> yes. why I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And, and the key was just acknowledging how much bullshit that was, right? Like, yes. 
what I was really afraid of is if I stopped doing all of that for other people, would they still want me? Yeah. Oof. And that's a script, isn't it? That is a script that runs in your head. It's funny. um, I was blogging for the first time in like a year, for the first time in like ages, uh, Valentine's Day, because why not? I put up a piece about purity culture, um, which we've talked about a lot with other people, but I've never really told my story in its entirety. And there's been an investigative journalist over here in Australia who did a piece on a bunch of Catholic schools with purity culture. Um, And as I was writing my reflection on my own journey through that, I realised that choicelessness was something that was really ingrained in my walk through, pardon me, in my walk through um, evangelicalism. Um, it's all about God's will for your life. It's all about what God wants. You've got to see God, ask what he wants. Um, but especially with, with purity culture, there was this terror in me that God would ordain my husband to be somebody that I just thought was repulsive, um, or who had a really, you know, horrible surname, um, or like smelt bad, you know, (laughs) if it's God's will, if it's God's will, you just got to do it. You got to do it. So when, um, so a thing for me, when I was deconstructing and I never thought I'd have to deconstruct purity culture because I was married to a wonderful man. So Mm. therefore I never thought I'd have to deconstruct gender roles. I never thought I'd have to deconstruct my idea of womanhood. Um, Choicelessness was something that I'd accepted as Mm -hmm. part of womanhood, as part of Christian womanhood. Um, And so now I'm, turning 40 next month I think I'm gorgeous for 40 don't look at me today this is a janky situation but anyway um, (laughs) I'll put a more glamorous photo up and then you can all think I'm super glam but um, (laughs) I'm turning 40 and for the first time in my life I feel like my life is truly truly mine but for the first few years post or first couple of years post separation when I was kind of four years five years down the track in my deconstruction choice was terrifying um, yeah. It was really, really scary. So um, and I guess this comes back to like biblical womanhood was something in seminary that you kind of went, oh, lolly, what's this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, complementarianism, that idea that men and women are equal in value, but different in, you know, in function, blah, blah, blah. How do you see this choicelessness as a point of terror or stuckness or scariness for for other women who are deconstructing? Yeah, it's really interesting that the dance between I want to take my power back and I'm terrified to have my power is a mess. It is a hot mess. And it's, it's not a linear thing. It's not like I wake up today less afraid of choice than yesterday. Um, every single day after day after day, right? It's, um, you know, thinking about tides and thinking about the ocean and, you know, there are rogue waves and and there are going to be days where the smallest choice may feel overwhelming. And, And what we just have to remember is that we have been taught not to trust ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So especially for women, uh, we're not to trust our bodies. We're not to trust our sexual urges. We're not Mm -hmm. to trust our hearts. We're not to trust our emotions. Like this has really been ingrained in us. So when we think about making a choice, even a a minimal choice, what do we make that on? If we still have those remnants of all those parts of us that we don't trust, but now we also don't trust the people who raised us and and raised us in, in a spiritual sense. And we're not even sure we trust God. <laughs> we're like, 
who's left? Do I just pull out the magic eight ball? Oh, but that's magic. And that might send me to hell, right? Like the the choice is so complex. And so what I recommend is, first of all, you have to get in, you you have to like fold back into your body. You have to figure out how to lower your walls and be with yourself. Because once you've done that, it's easier to trust your ability to choose. And then you also just have to sometimes run those choices all the way out and say, okay, um, I'm going to choose this particular job. What's the worst that could happen? Right. And maybe the worst that could happen is you move cross country. You're in that job Mm -hmm. for six months. You hate it. You move back and you start over. Yeah. That's a big shift. That's a, that's a challenging thing, but it's not life ending and it's not an internal persecution. You're going to make God mad and, and you're just going to suffer for eternity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Putting things in scale helps with choice. Yeah. Very few things have those eternal ramifications that we were conditioned to believe that they did. Yeah. And sitting with the fact that it's conditioning. I mean, we've, we've talked about that a lot and it it does come back to what we were saying at the beginning of, of in your short version, the the cook's tour of the life of Angela Harrington um, (laughs) is that, yeah, you can't just think your way through deconstruction because faith wasn't something that was just thought. It was something that was lived. It was something that was internalized. Um, It was something that was felt in the pit of our stomach. It was something that we felt in our bodies when we were experiencing the presence of God in, um, you know, immersive worship or when we were praying in tongues or, you know, and then obviously I think purity culture is the, the kind of, I think, easiest um, example of conditioning. If you've been told that, that sex and pleasure is evil your entire life, you become, you learn to fear it. It becomes part of that fear response, which is actually not going to allow you to experience you know, right. a sexual arousal because you're experiencing fight or flight fear arousal. Exactly. Um, which shuts that all down. So we've got to drop, like when you say folding into your bodies, yeah. <laughs> I call it the great divorce is between our minds and our bodies when we're in evangelicalism or in church or in toxic mm-hmm. religion, whatever, is that we're taught not to trust the gut instinct. We're taught not to trust the emotions, which happens in the limbic system in the brain. Like, you know, it happens like rage is something that's felt all through our bodies. We shake, we're mad, you know, fear, we sweat, like stuff like that. Um, But reconnecting, like being okay with, with your body, like talk to me about what you mean by folding into your body. Talk to me about how you help people with this, because I think this is probably something that a lot of us have feared because we've equated it with, a really, you know, demonic kind of. Or yeah, exactly. Right. Soulful. We're always going to lead ourselves astray. We're always going to, yeah. right. Okay. So the, the, the biggest thing is this idea, like people are like, what are you talking about? I'm in my body. Mm-hmm. Well, are you in your body? Are you connected to your body? That's different, right? So yeah. because we've been told all these different parts of us aren't valuable or aren't safe or aren't healthy, we distance ourselves from them. And I know the first time somebody was telling me this, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like my heart's right here. I know what's going on. Well, yeah, but it was also under like 30,000 layers 
of steel walls because I had walled it off um, because there had been so much hurt. The Exvangelical Onion. (laughs) Right, right. It's stinkier than an onion, though. That makes you cry (laughs) a little bit more than an onion, too. Um, So so many metaphors we can do, right? There's this this idea of, you know, my, I have this this wonderful lady who does body work and energy healing. And she says, you know, are you connected to your body or is it just a meat soup? (laughs) Like, is it just your plastic wrapping? that your soul is around. And, and in a lot of Christian circles, that's what we're taught. Yes. But there are, there, I mean, you and I've talked a lot about neurology. And, you know, if you just think for a second about every little drop of, of oxygen that we breathe in, it doesn't just come in and go out. Like mm-hmm. it circulates through every single cell, yeah. right? And so you can't just feel something in one part of your body and not expect it to move all the way through your body. Yeah. So with my clients, we do a lot of work to say, okay, um, I'm talking about this really hard traumatic thing, this abandonment mm-hmm. that happened. Um, but I'm I'm only talking about it from here. Yeah. So <laughs> this is valid. My brain, my logic system, my head, extremely important and valid. So I don't want to discount knowledge. But if that's the only space that we're drawing from. That's what, like 10%? I mean, that's 10% of my whole body. So what does the other 90% of our body have to say? And that's just Mm -hmm. talking about like the physical body, right? We could get into all kinds of energy and supernatural. There's all kinds of stuff we could get into. But just, you know, for somebody who's really feeling overwhelmed and, and really not sure how to even, like, is there grief? Is there rage? You know, if I can't get in touch with those things, it's probably because you've separated a little bit and you're looking at your body as a meat suit and not yeah. looking at it as this, um, this beautiful conduit uh, that's wrapped around and through and in all of the aspects of you. So mm. if we're trying to talk about something that's really hard and heavy and we're using our brains, a lot of times people have a hard time getting down to their voice and to their heart and to their gut space. Yeah. And so there's a fun little activity and it's going to sound totally ridiculous if you've never done this before, but if you imagine a little elevator that pops out of the top of your head and there's a little miniature version of you that jumps into that elevator and you imagine that elevator (laughs) dropping through your body and it stops at your brain and says, Hey brain, what's going on here? And you just get the door opens and you just get to look around without judgment and see what's there. And you're like, okay, cool. That's what my brain thinks. You hop back under the elevator and you go down to your voice. You go down to your throat and say, okay, doors open. What's going on here? And then you hop back on again and you go down to your heart and the doors open and you say, okay, heart, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when that heart door opens, that's when the emotions start to flow. And then you hop back on the elevator again and you go down to the womb space. You go down to the gut where your intuition lives and where a lot of your, your, um, a lot of the female energy and your sexual energy and just a Mm. lot of mothering wounds are carried in our belly. And you open the doors and you say, what's here? Yeah. What's here? And then you hop back on the elevator and you go all the way down to whether it's your butt or your toes, whatever's on the ground and you open the door And this is where you're rooted. These are the things that you know, you know, you know, you know. So you open those doors and you say, what's here? Yeah. And it seems like such a silly thing. But what it does is 
it turns our attention inward without judging. Yeah. And opens up the opportunity to say, huh, what's here? Yeah. What's here? Yeah. Rather yeah. than, ooh, that shouldn't be here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yes. oh, those those tears shouldn't be here. Yeah. Well, why not? If your body says there are tears that need to be released, yeah. Release some yeah. tears. Like, yeah. Just let it flow. So breathing yeah. deep helps with that. But the idea of folding into your body is just reducing the impact of external stimuli mm -hmm. and turning up the volume on the internal. Yeah. And it's really easy to say, it's not really easy to do right out of the gate, <laughs> but that resistance is, sign, is a sign that you are changing your habits and you are changing your patterns. So mm -hmm. when you feel resistance, keep going. Yeah. It's not like the old days where that means it's sin and you need to run away. It's yeah. that, you know, that one road we talked about that's really toxic and unhealthy. The reason it's hard to fold into your body is because that toxic, unhealthy road said, don't go there. Yeah. But you're choosing to go there anyway. So it's about yeah. forming habits and just little by little learning to trust yourself and learning to be safe in your own body, which is really a challenge yeah. for a lot of us. It, it's so interesting what you're saying because I actually haven't spoken about neurology on my own podcast, <clears throat> but, um, you know, everything that you were just saying there, you were saying it, it, it might sound silly, but to me it doesn't sound silly because um, when you know that the, the brain, they actually say that we've got three, uh, three brains essentially, mm -hmm. one in our head, one in our heart, one in our gut. The enteric nervous system, which sits in your gut, has billions of neurons. Right. There's, there's like we, when we say a gut instinct, like literally, it's your enteric yeah, nervous it's a system. legit thing. It's not just a made-up metaphor. It's an actual thing. Yeah, and as I was talking in the wilderness community group, um, there's this neuron in your brain that fires up during fight or flight which drives us into fight or flight posture. Uh, it's called the red nucleus. And the thing that it does is it causes your shoulders to come forward, to your like biceps, ten, you know, you're getting ready to run, getting ready to fight. It actually also tightens up. Yeah. Guess what? Your calf muscles, your butt. <laughs> like, um, we've got this vagus nerve that runs from our, um, from our cranium down into our gut and it like it, it runs down your neck. Um, so when we're actually checking in with ourselves, this is not some woo-woo thing. Um, right. It's actually, there's neurology involved here. If you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling grief, if you're feeling all of these different things, I love it when people say, oh, it's all in your head. Well, yes, your brain is in your head, but that doesn't mean it's not a real thing. It's a very, very important right. thing. And we've been taught this uh, doctrine of the tripart being that we are body, soul, and spirit, that, you know, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Well, I call BS on the whole thing um, because yeah. who we are as people, you cannot take the, the, the thinking part of the brain out of the body and have the body function. Right. You die. You know, we can't we can't take the brain out of the body and have the body function. That you just cease right. being. We are integrated from our our brain to our nerves to our tissues to our you know all of that. So you know, we've got to start start thinking of our body as our greatest ally because it is programmed yeah. to protect us. But what we experienced in toxic religious religious settings 
often worked directly against that programming and not for our benefit. Exactly. And so I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Um, and and I, I purposely haven't asked you what your faith stance is at the moment because I don't think that's probably helpful for people who are deconstructing to go, I want a deconstruction coach who believes like I believe um, because belief is this shifting kind of thing. (sighs) I'm in a particularly jaded place at the moment because, um, and I'll, I'll say that up front because, you know, the stuff that I hear from churches in Australia, we've got Brian Houston who is, you know, the, the Hillsong pastor or Hillsong mm. you know, Global, you know, whatever. Um, he's on charges for cover, for basically, I think it's, um, you know, covering up his dad's sexual abuse of boys um, and actually having his dad preach on stage after he knew about it allegedly. And, you know, but then he's got all of these other personal misconduct things that have come out. We can see Bobby Houston, his wife, really denying that it happened and clinging to this mm-hmm. idea that it's just persecution. You see all this denial. Hillsong in the States, there's been so many pastors' marriages that have split up. We had Ravi Zacharias, who was one of the great apologists of our day, go to his grave, yeah. um, clouded in abuse, um, you know, abuse scandals that never got to see the light of day with justice. Um, I still know about churches that are allegedly undertaking uh, conversion practices, gay conversion therapy in Australia, yeah. even in places where it's illegal. And I don't know, you know, I'm not naming them obviously because I don't have proof. Um, but the idea is that, yes, it's, it's quite likely still happening. So I'm thinking, and this is a question, a long, long preamble, can church still be good? Yeah. I think that what is really important to define here is what is church and what is good, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right. So when, sister. right, it could get, it could, you know, what, what I always tell people at the beginning of, of our relationship working together as coach and client, or, um, you know, even people in my community who are just asking questions is that the goal of deconstruction is to move from longing to flourishing in Mm -hmm. a spiritual space. Mm -hmm. Nobody but you should be defining that spiritual space, not even me, Mm -hmm. right? Like we, what we need is to be able to trust ourselves enough that when information is placed in front of us, we can make a decision about it, right? And so for a lot of people, there, there is goodness that happens and there is a type of church that happens. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of deconstruction, what that looks like, there's a million options, right? Yeah. So for some people, there is a physical church building on Sundays that they go to because they've been able to find a space that aligns with who they believe God to be and who they, um, you know, believe what they believe Christian community should look like for others. I mean, I live in the Midwest. It's fairly conservative here. (laughs) <laughs> it's really hard to find progressive spaces. So for yeah, a lot right. of people in this part of the country, church looks different, right? Yeah. Churches, um, you know, a couple of people gathering over Zoom and just talking about things or, yeah. um, you know, walking through the garden in the middle of the night and just pondering what is divinity, right? Like sometimes yeah. that's what church looks like. So I, I think that 
that's a that's a real roundabout answer, right? There's a yes, mm-hmm. no, and maybe all in that <laughs> is that Thanks for some for people clarity. it is possible. Right. Okay. For some people it is possible. And, and and I think the key is nobody gets to define what it is and what it looks like except for you. Yeah. Um, so there are yeah. people who need to be a million miles away from church because the damage that has been done is so severe that the only way that that group of people is going to be able to calm their nervous system is mm-hmm. by avoiding it. Do they ever yeah. get to go back in? I don't know. That's not up to me. You know, right. That's, yeah. it's what they need to flourish. But yeah. I, I think that there's no checkbox answer. And again, that comes back to choice and it's like, <laughs> Oh, just give us an answer. I don't have the answers about your spirituality. Yeah. I just yeah. don't. You're the only one that has the answers, even if you can't hear them right now. Yeah. That's, that's, oh, yeah. I'm going to have to sit with that. And I know you're right because just kind of reflecting back over my experience. And, and look, I, I grew up in pretty, you know, evangelicalism. And the thing that evangelicalism sells us is certainty. Um, if we obey a certain, if we abide by a certain kind of behavioural code, if we think a certain way, mm-hmm. if we live a certain way, then all of these things are available to us and pretty much guaranteed, you know, um, people like the the Bethel kind of school of, of New Apostolic Reformation or neo-charismatic evangelicalism treat healing as guaranteed. And if you're not getting right. healed, you're not saved properly, um, which, you know, as right. a person who struggled with injury and chronic pain all of her life, um, you know, and for those of us who are in church hiding depression and anxiety, this is a really crippling doctrine, Um Right. You know, so so there's that. There's stuff like that. Um, there's, you know, if you, again, I'm coming back to purity culture because it's clearly on my mind this week. Valentine's Day. I'm blaming yeah. Valentine's Day. Um, you know, if you save yourself for marriage and ask God to approve your choice of partner or have God choose your partner, you'll have a great marriage. You'll have great sex. You'll have great children. They'll never, you know, fall into drugs or alcohol. They will never, like, um, you know, have the sex before marriage and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, right. we're, we're taught that if we make these choices, which are very prescriptive, like it's very much abide by this code of ethics. If you're in doubt, ask your pastor. He'll tell you what to do and he will be a guy. Um, then your life's going to be fantastic. Right. Um, and the, the lived experience of that doesn't line up um, right. unless right. we couch it in, whole lot of denial um and of course i think there's probably some people who have lived just great lives those ones that are kissed by lady luck and just never struggle they exist right i hate them but they probably exist um, <laughs> but yeah so then we we move out into deconstruction and all of a sudden certainty is not it's gone it's, it's just out the window gone. just vanished it mm. probably took me about five years to be okay with spiritual uncertainty. And yeah. now I love it. I do love yeah. it because it's like, all right, so there's this shop in where I live. It's a metaphysical support shop. Nice. Um, it basically sells a whole lot of crystals and stuff. And my kids really like pretty rocks. So we go in there and, and we buy, you know, we buy crystals and stuff. And it was hilarious because my neighbor's an atheist. I'm a 
ex-fundamentalist Christian who is probably agnostic with atheistic fantasies but will never quite get to atheist and I kind of vacillate. I'd gone into this shop thinking nobody's going to see me in here in this kind of witchy shop. (laughs) And then I see Katie and she's got the guiltiest look on her face. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing in here? And she's like, what are you doing here? And we're kind of like (laughs) really, really guilty. And then her son, who's just older than my son, comes bolting out of the corner with Henry going, oh, Henry, I've got, I've got this rock and it's got these superpowers because they think if they can collect these crystals, they get the superpowers that go along with them. Right. They get to be superheroes. Get it. (laughs) Um, And I think it's hilarious, but you know, in a previous life, even walking into a shop like that would have been just completely not okay. And now I'm like, it's okay to buy crystals from a metaphysical support shop. It's okay to entertain the possibility that they do something. It's okay to go, it's a complete placebo. And then it's okay to go, but the placebo effect is an effect. And what I've brought here is a talisman for me to hold on to and kind of set my intention towards. And that's doing something on a neurological level. That's doing something on a physical level. So mm-hmm. it's okay to be at any point on this paradigm and then change your mind the next day. It's right. You don't have to be like you don't have to be certain about things. And something I've noticed a bit in the deconstruction space is sometimes people can be going through their own journey so intensely that, at, that we kind of want to impose our new dogma on other people. I emerged as an atheist. You have to be an atheist. If you're not an atheist yet, you're not done. And we've seen this with, um, you know, 19 kids and counting. I do. Yeah. We were just talking about uh, Ginger the other day, her book and her journey. We were just talking about that on my, in my group the other day. Yeah. And so for those who don't know, 19 kids and counting is this, like it's a reality TV show from, I was probably, I don't know, is it the Midwest or is it the Deep South? I don't know, but they've. Um, I think theology. they were in Arkansas. Uh, I think they were in Arkansas. So right. it's like yeah. the best and worst of the Midwest and the Deep South. <laughs> so you explain. <laughs> Sorry, anyone who's in Arkansas. My husband is from Arkansas. We love Arkansas, but that's the best explanation I can give to somebody who's outside the country. <laughs> yes. So, so Ginger is one of these 19 kids and you know, they were, they were a homeschooled family and they're like, you know, very modest and like um, courtship, hardcore, like, you know, right. all of that kind of stuff. And so she's deconstructed out of that. I think it might be Gothard. And, but now she's going to John, John MacArthur's church. And for those right. of us who, you know, hate complementarianism, um, yeah, the Venn diagram of John MacArthur and things we hate is probably just a circle. Um, <laughs> and so people are going, how dare you talk about deconstruction? How dare you talk yeah. about your journey when you're going to John MacArthur's church? And I kind of want to say, hey, you do you. If you're freer right. than you were then, um, and if and you're probably not finished on your journey and you've written a sure. book when you're not finished on your journey, but you know what? Great. Good for you. Be right. in the place you're in. Be more free than you were. And then maybe in a few years you'll be more free than you are now because you can't. Exactly. You can't acknowledge the area. Like you can't, you can't grow through what you haven't seen as a problem yet. Right, right. So just just you do you. And you know what? If she decides to stay in John MacArthur's church and she's freer and she's happier and she's more fulfilled than she was, great, good for her. But you know what? If you're an atheist, also 
completely fine. And if you, like me, have a growing crystal collection because your kids like rocks and every now and then you see one and you go, oh, that's pretty, it's also yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. You know? We have to be really careful because a lot of people do jump from a very legalistic community that believes in, you know, belief system A. Yeah. And they don't actually deconstruct. They just shift to what they believe to be a slightly less toxic belief system. Okay. Yeah. So if I, let's say a human being has a million beliefs, just as an example, yeah. if I go from uh, system A to system B and I change 50 of my beliefs mm -hmm. without actually looking at the other 999, whatever that number would be, 999,950, right? <laughs> That's just a shift in beliefs. That's yeah. not actually a deconstruction of my belief system. And so Ooh, what happens yeah. is we may, we may remedy some of the more visible problems in that original belief system that we're coming out of. So, you know, maybe we go to a church that's affirming of queer people. Maybe we go to a church that's more active in social justice and supports Black Lives Matter or, mm -hmm. um, you know, believes in, in reproductive health care across the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But even those systems can still be very legalistic and very yeah, hierarchical and still be <laughs> not healthy. Yeah. Which is why when we see some of these churches pop up and these huge movements take off and it seems very progressive, sometimes the, the inside is still rotten. Mm. So when, yes. we, when we deconstruct, it's not just adopting a different set of beliefs and knowing that that is the one right path for everyone. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of deconstruction is getting out of other people's business. <laughs> oh, amen. <sister>. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and, Knowing that no matter how much I work on myself, how much I connect with the divine, how much I study, how much I listen, I am never going to know it all. Mm. And so every conversation is, should be an opportunity to listen. Now, the caveat, the little asterisk on that is you still get to have healthy boundaries. <laughs> you don't get to let abusive people walk all over you, right? Yeah. Um, if you want to have an open and curious conversation and somebody comes at you a hundred miles an hour with apologetics and has no desire to listen, you walk away, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you, in your deconstruction, when you're talking to people and you're listening and you're exploring these, all of your relationships need to be equitable. So you and I sitting here talking is totally equitable. You get what you yeah. need. I get what I need. That's an yeah. equitable conversation. Yeah. You're probably going to say something that I'm going to go home tonight and be like, whoa, I need to chew on that for a little bit, right? And, and the same thing is going to happen the other way. And that's how we both grow. Yeah. But neither one of us is sitting here armored up, ready yeah. to pound into the other person yeah. that I know it all or that you know yeah. it all, right? Like that, exactly. there's no equity in that. So, you know, a hierarchy isn't necessarily bad, but when, when a hierarchy or a system conditions people to believe that, that, that everybody in that system has the right answers and everybody outside of it doesn't. Yeah. That's just the same old toxic system wrapped up in a different denomination or, or, you yeah. know, packaged slightly differently to yeah. attract a different group of people. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's, that's interesting. I think, um, <sighs> boundaries, hierarchies, right, right and wrong. 
Yeah. I mean, there's so much in that. We could talk for another hour about that alone, but my observation of, of my experience was inside evangelicalism. um, I perceived myself to be of a higher spiritual evolvedness than people who were hanging around the edges of church who were not in leadership positions and then perceived all of us to be of a higher level than unsaved people, the unsaved as we call them. And every relationship I had was coloured by that. I would be, you know, trying to represent Christ to them, Um, you know, you know, the, the white middle-class, um, well-dressed, homophobic, yeah. <laughs> um, strictly gender-rolled Christ that, that we that we were right. kind of packaged. I was trying to represent that so that people would get saved um, because of me and I would lead them. And so that's a very hierarchical, that's a very, very rigid way of thinking. And when I began to deconstruct, all of a sudden I got to have these beautiful conversations with people that were on a level because the hierarchy was gone. So, so yeah, so when I was pregnant with my son, um, somebody, like it was a very difficult pregnancy. I lost nerve function in my legs um, or, you know, it became very patchy. Mobility became very different, difficult. And this friend, an, an, an unsaved friend, volunteered to come over and do my nails. And the walls were up. The walls were up when she came in. And then she says to me about halfway through, okay, I've been hearing rumours that you guys have left your church and it just can't be true and it's absolute bullshit. And I was like, no, it's true. We're we're out. And then the walls came down and then she Mm. was open and then we were friends on a level and there was honesty and real connection between us for the first time in forever. And, And I found myself sitting with people who had vastly different belief systems. It was Mm. the atheists who embraced us. It was the pagans who embraced us it was people who practiced all different like buddhism and you know all of these Mm -hmm. different things or who practiced no religion at all but like cultural catholics or whatever they embraced us in a way that was so kind and it was so beautiful but there was no hierarchy and that i found to be fascinating because for the first time in my life i thought oh this is what real friendship is because there's no hierarchy in it we're choosing to be in each other's company because we're choosing to be in each other's company nothing is drawing us together for a greater good and there's no disciple or disciple or leader right. and led um it was a huge thing it was a it was a real realization for me that those hierarchies can be so built into us that we actually need to surrender our position um in order to 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 deconstruct and the other thing is boundaries brings us right back to body if you're finding yeah. that your shoulders are shooting up when someone's talking to you, <laughs> you're yeah. defensive. Is it because they're encroaching on your boundaries? Is it because you're, you know, you're unable to say, I'm not into this conversation. I don't want to have it right now. Right. Often in church, we don't even have the power to to have the like have these boundary conversations. That so it has to be a huge thing for deconstructors to work through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we, you know, the even the idea of boundaries gets twisted and abused in the church, right? Uh Um, Because if you're speaking God's will, forget (laughs) about the boundaries. You can just run right over those boundaries, right? Or if you have spiritual authority over someone, you can literally run over that person's boundaries. And so even with terms like that, we have to like wind it back and say, okay, 
what's the core of this idea? So like, you know, what's, what is actually the core of my body? What is the core idea behind boundaries? What is the core idea behind uh, choice and truth and church and good and all these things we've talked about? And, and I think most people in deconstruction, at least I, I hope most people in deconstruction, Mm -hmm. what we get to is this place where we're like, oh, those lines, yeah. nobody else is drawing those lines. Like how do marginalized <laughs> people get to the margins of society? Yeah. People in the middle mm. push them out. Yeah. Right. So these, these human made lines, um, it's yeah. really hard to walk out of a toxic, abusive environment and stop seeing them. Yeah. And yes. that's the defensiveness. You know, again, we say it's self-protection because we've been conditioned to believe that it's self-protection, but we're yeah. willing to cross those lines if it means that we can save that person. That's the whole white yeah. saviorism. If yeah. we can be the one uh, that that brings them to Christ and, and edifies the name of all that's holy by sharing our story with them, then it's worth yeah. it. But that's the only yeah. time you take that risk. Yeah. That's programming. That's a cult. (laughs) That's cult like programming. And there's no way around it. So we have to like, we have to teach ourselves how not to see those man-made, those human-made boundaries and just see people and realize we're not going to get hit by lightning by going into a crystal shop. No, I I have been in several times and haven't been hit by lightning yet. So, which is hugely encouraging. Yes, yeah. I, I realize we're coming up to the hour now, um, yeah. but I, <laughs> I'm just kind of reflecting on this, the kind of the idea of God's will and everything else is wrong. It took me a long time to to get through that. It took me a long time to own my own decision making, and mm-hmm. it, it took me a long time to unlearn submission to my husband, even after we'd split up. And yeah. there's this really funny, I think it's funny, when we moved, we moved from my hometown to Melbourne and because we didn't want to split the kids' household and move them, you know, in the one go, we lived together for six months um, under one roof during the pandemic. And I remember we'd had this clangor of a fight. And at one point I looked at him and went, oh, we're not married. We don't have to agree. And it was a real light bulb moment for me. And I was just, I, I kind of started cackling and I've, got, I've yeah. gone upstairs into my room, which was also my office. And he had bought me my computer and we, so I just kind of went, we don't have to agree. And I started cackling and I went upstairs and then he, he was obviously not quite at that point of realization yet. And he's opened the door and he's taken the charger. He goes, well, this is mine then (laughs) and walks out of the room (laughs) and shuts the door. And then I lost it laughing. I was just cackling and I could hear him laughing on the other side of the door. And it's kind of become this moment now where we we recognise that it's just a silly argument. We don't have to agree. One of us will go, well, this charger's mine. (laughs) Right, exactly. it was a moment of going, it's okay to be divorcing. It's okay to not submit to this man who, you know, who was my husband. It's okay to have differences of opinions. One doesn't have to be right. One doesn't have to be wrong. It can just literally be, this is best for me. That's best for you. And we do parent children together. So we do have to agree on a lot of things and we, we do agree on a lot of things, but you know, some things just don't matter. 
as much as we thought they did. So undrawing those boundaries in our mind between right and wrong, God's will and the rest and evil and all of these things, that takes time and you have to be so kind to yourself and so compassionate to yourself and really deconstruct Mm -hmm. without self-judgment. Growth is growth. You don't know what you, you know, you didn't know what you didn't know. So tell me in closing, yeah. How, like, tell me about the wilderness community and tell me about how people yeah. can work with you. How can we find you? So there's a couple of different ways to find me. The easiest thing is just go to AngelaJHarrington.com. It's spelled H-E. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of different levels. So some people are like, you know what? I don't want community. I just need a private space that's just for me. So I offer one-on-one mm-hmm. coaching. The wilderness community is an off, an intentionally off Facebook community where each mm-hmm. month we tackle topics, we have guests that come in, but it's not linked at all to your social media profile. So you don't have to worry about your Aunt Bertha stumbling in and, and you know, <laughs> seeing a comment or something like that, right? Um, so those are the two places. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I guess somebody can, because on Facebook, people can see if I'm in a group and that may or may not yeah. be safe for me, you know, depending on yeah. uh, how complex the situation we're coming out of. So there's a couple yeah. different places to find me, a couple different ways to work uh, with me. I do have a book that's coming out later this year. Um, do you want an exclusive? Yes. I have the official title on this post-it note in front of me and only oh my, my team and my husband and my children have seen this. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, the the Kit Kennedy exclusive is the title of this book is Kicking Toxic Religion to the Curb. Deconstruct your faith Ooh. without losing yourself. Oh my gosh. So there's I that. Need this book. <laughs> I need this book. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. We're in the editing process and there's a million steps between now and then. Yes, but um, it'll be coming out later this year. There is actually a button on my uh, website where if you want to be on the book lunch team, you can get in there. I also have a free quiz. So if people are like, I don't know if I'm in deconstruction. I don't have any idea. I actually have a quiz <laughs> that you can take. Um, you don't even have to put your email in. That's totally optional. Yeah. But there's just a handful of questions you answer, and then it will take you to a customized page that has some blog posts and some free resources and, you know, some next steps for you so that you could just kind of explore it in the privacy of your own home. And if you want to join one of the communities or get on the email list, you absolutely can. But we don't, you know, my team and I, we don't even see who takes the quiz. So it it literally is 100% private. Um, So I'd highly recommend if people are like, I don't know, I don't know where I'm at or what to do start with that quiz and then just explore the different resources and reach out on my yeah. website or, or on any of the social media channels if you're interested in finding out what it's like to work with me. Yeah. And look, I, I love that this is, um, <laughs> and first of all, if you're going, I don't know if I'm deconstructing. Yeah, probably are, to be quite probably honest. Are. Like, probably have been for a while. <laughs> That's a dead giveaway. But right. if you're listening to this podcast, you definitely are. Or maybe you're just pissed at me. That That's also a possibility, I realise. There might be a few rage listeners going on. But, look, I love that you're acknowledging that the safety of the person, acknowledging the readiness of the person. Nobody's going to try to, you know, force you up a ladder of engagement to this is actually about the person who's deconstructing. Having actually... Absolutely the little testimonial here, I found that you were 
just so valuable in me recovering from um, the ordeal that last year was just the the way the gentle way in which you held space and you didn't say this is wrong this is right it was just just about holding space for me in this moment that I needed so I know that you will offer so much of the same to people who are in the wilderness community so ladies gentlemen non-binary friends angelajharrington.com yeah. But you will see the link. Yeah, I'll pop the link in my show notes and you will see on my uh, my Insta. Um, I will also link Angela's um, Instagram there and you'll be able to find her there. So thank you for joining me on the first oh. episode of 2023. <laughs> Woohoo! Woohoo! First episode. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's always a joy. I'm really proud of us for keeping this to the amount of time we kept it to. I think. The last few times yeah. we've talked, it's been multiple hours. So go us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but mind you, I'm about to press stop and who knows how, how long we'll actually true. talk after the record. Thank you for tuning into Unchurchable. I'm Kit Kennedy or Claire McIver, whatever the hell you want to call me. I'm Kit Kennedy. Um, <laughs> see you next time on Unchurchable.